Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I would make note that although this uh, place looks like it's under construction here, it's not. It's for the production that's coming up called This Random World, and they may actually make it rain on stage. So that's worth the price of admission all by itself. So en enjoy a trip here while it's uh, going on. I'd like to uh, uh, begin our uh, oral argument by acknowledging our council, and then we'll get right to uh, right to it, as so to speak. And Mr. Stock, is that correct? You're here for the appellant, Mr. Fair, and is it Mr. Yoke? Yes, sir. Mr. Yoke is here from the Attorney General's office uh, on behalf of the state of Indiana. So, without further ado, you may be heard. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. For 50 years, the Indiana Constitution has bestowed upon our Supreme Court the power to review and revise criminal sentences. We know the original purpose of this power with more certainty than most constitutional provisions. It was to achieve uniformity in criminal sentences, or as the Supreme Court has put it, to leaven the outliers. Let me ask about uh, the idea of uh kind of making sentences all over the state be very similar. Is, is that where you're coming from? Or are you saying that in this particular case, this particular sentence is an outlier that should be revised? Or both? I'd say both, Judge. Uh, I'd say both. And, and at first, this, our Supreme Court had interpreted this charge, this review and revise power narrowly. It limited itself, and I think if I explain the sort of the history of it, I, I think it'll get to what I'm trying to say. At first, the court limited itself to reviewing, reviewing only manifestly unreasonable sentences. The sentence had to be no, a sentence that no reasonable person could find appropriate to the particular offense and offender for whom such sentence is imposed. But in 2003, the court changed course. They changed this power from a prohibition on revising sentences unless certain narrow conditions were met to an authorization to revise sentences when certain broad conditions are satisfied. And I think former Justice Bowen noted in McCullough versus State that prior to that rule change, changing sentences were, was unusual. After that rule change, it became more common, it came more in line with the original purposes of the Constitution. And in fact, in McCullough, the power goes so far as to allow this court and the Supreme Court, to allow the Supreme Court to revise sentences upwards. And the court has bestowed this great power, the Supreme Court has bestowed this great power on this court through Appellate Rule 7B. Um, what are the terms of Appellate Rule 7B? Under what circumstances are we to even think about revising a sentence? And who has the burden to prove what's called for in so, Appellate Rule 7b? So a sentence may be revised if it's inappropriate in light of the nature of the offense and the character of the offender. And it is the offender's burden to convince this court that the sentence is inappropriate. It is our burden today to, uh, to convince this court that the sentence is inappropriate. And is it your burden to prove both of those or one of those? So I know that there's considerable debate about that. 
Your Honor. I, our position, my position is that that is something of an artificial distinction. I think that nature of offense and character of offender, and this is a good example of the distinction being somewhat artificial. The circumstances in this case involve my client was a drug addict. My client was mental, had suffered from mental health problems. Was that determined by the court? As I, I understand, it was considered as a possible uh, mitigator, but there was no professional determination as to his mental health. That is absolutely correct, Your Honor, but I would posit that the record de demonstrates it really beyond all doubt. And this court is, is well versed in the cycles of addiction. Uh, you've each, in your experience on this bench and in your experience on the trial benches, know what this looks like. My client started smoking marijuana on a daily basis when he was 12 years old. There is, the, the, the scientific literature is replete with evidence that daily marijuana consumption as a teenager is highly associated with cognitive impairments and neuropsychological disorders. He was 30 years old at the time of this event and he'd been on drugs since he was 12. I don't think that addiction is really seriously in dispute in this case. And to your question, Judge Kenworthy, about the, the distinction, if he's a drug addict and if some of his actions, and in this case he was highly intoxicated at the time of the crimes. What did he have in his bloodstream? What did the test show? He had, uh, I can't remember the exact findings, Your Honor, but he had admitted to having tequila, meth, uh, marijuana, he, the list is, is lengthy and shocking. Uh, and so, so to the point about the, the unitary nature of nature of offense and character of the offender, he's an addict who was addicted, who was intoxicated at the time of the crime. It speaks to both prongs. And, and, and I, would I, I would suggest that if, if our argument to you is that len some leniency needs to be showed or so, some understanding, I don't even think lenience is the right term, if some understanding of our, my client's situation is at issue here, it involves nature of the offense, an offense committed by an addict while intoxicated, character of the offense, or a person who is an addict and suffering from mental health. I, I, I find it difficult to separate the two. Let's just uh, uh, pause to uh, see where we're at at this point in time. Sure. How old is your client? 30 years old. 30 years old. And he re is serving a 32-year executed sentence. Is that correct? That's correct. And he's 32 now, Judge. I'm sorry to interrupt. We, he's 30. <clears throat> he was born in 1991. Okay. He's 32. His sentence is 32 years. Correct. He'll serve 75% of that? Correct. So... He'll be in 24 years. That's right. Every minute of that, even if he behaves himself, right? And what is your requested relief as far as a reduction? So we asked that the sentence be revised from 32 to 20.5. And that reflect, reflected two points that we wanted to make. The guidance we're asking this court to give, because 7B review is about providing trial courts with guidance, at least in part. The guidance we're asking is, is there's two points of guidance. First, we ask that you find simultaneous possession of two different drugs to be absent extraordinary circumstances unworthy of a consecutive sentence. That would knock two and a half years off. And second, we're asking you to find it inappropriate to add an extra 15 years of incarceration 
to a young man who's already suffered a lifetime of substance abuse and mental health problems. So we got 15 years on the habitual. The minimum in this situation is six. That would knock off nine. So we're talking about reducing his sentence by 11 and a half years. We're not talking about allowing him, opening the prison door and letting him out. We know something wrong happened below. Isn't we're talking about sticking him with a 20 and a half year sentence. Isn't it true that your client did not receive the maximum sentence, sentences? I think the, he did in a couple of the smaller 60 day misdemeanors, I believe, and maybe the lower uh, felony of one year. Uh, he received the max in those, but if my math was correct, he was looking at 39 years if he was maxed. And I, go ahead. I think that's right, Judge. I, we'd go so far as to say I think it might have been 40. If you took the consecutive sentences that were run consecutive, it actually may have been 42 and a half. But because of the single episode of criminal conduct rule, I think it may, it may be 42 and a half. So no, he did not get the maximum sentence. But there is, without a doubt he got on the high end of the sentencing range. I think that the, I think the minimum where we're talking about here, if everything were to run concurrent, he got the minimum habitual and the minimum on all the other offenses. I, if my math was correct, I think we were talking about a range of like 10 to 42 and a half in that ballpark. Why don't you tell us and, and our, our folks that are here today um, what he had done in his past that was relevant to how the court sentenced him. Sure, he he has new he has an, a lengthy criminal history for a 30-year-old man. There is no question about it. Um, he had uh, been convicted of dealing in marijuana, hash oil, or hashish. He had been convicted of um, dealing in cocaine or other narcotic drugs. He uh, as a juvenile was picked up, unsurprisingly, since he was a daily marijuana user before he was even a teenager, he'd been picked up multiple times and was eventually kicked out of high school for smoking marijuana in high school. And, you know, we don't shy away from any of that. I'm sure that'll be a big portion of the state's argument, the litany of his criminal offenses. But I don't, far from proving the state's case, I think they suggest exactly how troubled my client's life has been. And I understand your point, and I, I'm especially uh, sensitive to mental health issues throughout uh, our appellate uh, practice here when we have the opportunity. But isn't it true that your client had the opportunity to go through some rehabilitation programs while incarcerated and yet either did not or did not complete them successfully? It is true, but we would suggest that the record is less than clear on the efficacy or the nature of these treatment programs that he was, was to receive. It's, it's discussed that he was in drug court, and I know Judge Kennewith is well aware of drug court uh, and the operation of drug court. But he was sentenced, the disposition date in October 2012, for possession of, or for dealing in cocaine or narcotic drug. That sentence began October 2012. He was placed in drug treatment court May 2016. He was failed from drug, tree court, drug treatment court May 2017. Now, I don't know what happened in a year on a person who has suffered a lifetime of addiction at that point, but I think one thing that we, very, that we very much are well aware of is that relapse is a common fact, is a common feature 
of drug treatment. Can you also share with us uh, his gun offenses? So in this case, it was alleged that he threw a gun as he was running from the police. That's, that was an allegation. He's not, he's not, he does not stand convicted of that. There's also an allegation of guns in the car. There's a, and there's in the separate allegations in other cases where he had possessions of gun. He wasn't supposed to have a gun. There's no question about that. He tested his allocution at the sentencing hearing um, was he was a new father. He felt it was a company. He didn't live in a great neighborhood. He felt it was incumbent. that was a part and parcel of his ability to protect himself. Lots of people feel that way. Yes, it's a violation of the law, but and, and arguably problematic. But I, I return to the point that we're still asking for a 20 and a half year sentence. But may I also ask my reading of the record indicated that he had some serious gun problems. And I, just to put it right out on the table, sawed-off shotguns, selling sawed-off shotguns, and, and possessing a machine gun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Your Honor. I, we can't deny it. I, but again, our, our response to that is 20 and a half years is uh, a lengthy <clears throat> prison sentence. I, I mean, it, doesn't, it pales in comparison to what we gave 20 years ago for drug offenses, but it's still a long time for a person in the prime of their life. Is it uh, true that at the time of sentencing there was a pending Marion County criminal case as well? That's and can you tell us what the charges were there, please? That's correct. Um, the charges there were significant. Dealing cocaine, possessing cocaine, de dealing a Schedule One controlled substance, possession of controlled substance, possession of a machine gun, dealing in marijuana, possession of marijuana, domestic battery, pointing a firearm. But the danger, of course, there is these are charged. There's no conviction before us. There's no, and, and we, do, we engage in that analysis all the time, pretty cavalierly, I would suggest. We don't know what happened in that case on the Does basis Odyssey of know what happened? <laughs> Odyssey might know what happened, okay, Your Honor. That's, that's our, our court uh, information technology that keeps yeah. track of all of the pending cases. That's right. Cases. Odyssey very well probably does know what happened to him at this point. And, um, but I think it's dangerous at this stage to discuss much more beyond the charges. That's what he's charged with. He's presumed innocent until proven guilty, of course. Um, Would you agree that we have the authority under the uh, uh, doctrine of judicial notice to take a look at what the result was in Odyssey as a public record? It's certainly within the ambit of judicial notice, and, and obviously this court is perfectly competent to, to engage in judicial notice. So we, <clears throat> yeah. um, we do agree with that. We want to make a point, but, but before my time completely runs out here, I want to talk about this, this simultaneous possession of two different drugs and argue for a, what we consider a very reasonable extension of the Beano line of cases. For 30 years, the Supreme Court in this court has suggested that when the state sponsors multiple drug deals, you shouldn't be able to max and stack those charges. That means when a defendant has sold drugs to an officer or officers multiple times. That's what you mean when you say state sponsor. That's right. Here there was no dealing like no. that. The point we want to make about that is that these drug offenses, as this court has pointed out and the Supreme Court has pointed out, often involve simultaneous possession. Addicts are often 
in possession of more than one drug at the same time. Uh, in, Tim, in State versus Tim's, I know the Supreme Court uh, made a passing reference that addiction often involves many separate instances of criminal conduct as in individuals inevitably attain illicit substances to feed their habit. The, so but let me, let me bring us back to Tim's because I wrote that case. And in that case, Mr. Tim's uh, made a one-time drug deal and got caught, correct? Correct. And was, it was a $300 drug, drug deal and the state took his Land Rover correct. as a part of that. Correct. And it ended up that now we have proportionate uh, forfeiture correct. throughout the United States. Right. Okay. But I, the reason I point that out is because Tim's was a one-time occurrence. Your gentleman is not a one-time occurrence. True. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. Happy to hear from you, uh, Mr. Yoke. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Fair does not carry his burden to show that his sentence is inappropriate. Both the nature of his offenses and his character support his 32-year aggregate sentences. But talk to me about the mental health component here. Yes, Your Honor. I mean, uh, our prison system is not built to deal with mental health. Would you agree with that? It's meant to house people and perhaps put them in some programming, but basically to take people off the street, correct? I, th I think that programming does exist and, and it does try to rehabilitate. I think rehabilitation is, is the goal of the, the system, yes. Okay. Do you have any idea how, how uh, successful rehabilitation is in a drug like methamphetamine? I do not have okay. that statistic, Your Honor. So right now, the uh, <coughs> appellant would serve 24 years in prison, right? And uh, you just think about being someplace for an hour that you don't want to be, and then just think that out for a day and another day and a birthday and somebody else's birthday and a holiday and this and that for a year, and then go on another year and a year and a year. It becomes such a, a chasm of time. and. Even if you were to allow the appellant the relief that he seeks here, he would be in jail, in jail over 15 years, all right? So what are you accomplishing by holding somebody? 15 years in jail is a long time, all right? It's more than an hour and all that that goes by, all right, when, when you find yourself in these circumstances. Uh, what, what's the difference going to make between 15 years and 20 years in jail? How is this? this man going to be so uh, more rehabilitated or, or reformed when reformation is the goal of the Indiana Constitution? There's your question. Um, I think what we have to look at is, um, as we talked about, Mr. Fair's character in the past and, and the opportunities that he's already been provided. And as a four-time convicted drug dealer um, who has had opportunities before, he's had opportunities in prison, he's had opportunities on community corrections and on parole. He's had opportunities in drug treatment court, and he has rejected those opportunities through his conduct. Um, and so, what his conduct shows is that he, at this time, has not been interested uh, in rehabilitation. Uh, and so, perhaps a longer sentence is warranted. Again, it is it is his burden uh, to show this court that his sentence is inappropriate or that it's an outlier. Tell us about the discretion that trial judges have in sentencing. 
Yes, Your Honor. So in an abuse of discretion setting, the, the trial court must uh, sentence within the uh, appropriate penalty range for the convicted crime. So in this instance, um, a level three felony carried a sentencing range of three to 16 years. Uh, due to his criminal history, Mr. Fair was a habitual offender, which added an additional six to 20 years uh, to his sentence. Additionally, as we've discussed, he was convicted of multiple crimes. Um, I, I, my math came out as the same as uh, co-counsel or my opposing counsel that um, I reached the same conclusion about his potential maximum around 42.5 years. Um, and that is due to the consecutive sentencing cap statute, uh, which would limit the exposure to the F3 possession of methamphetamine and the level five felony possession of, sorry, level three possession of cocaine, level five possession of methamphetamine to a 20 year maximum for those two to run consecutively. What is it about the nature of this offense that would work against the defendant's burden to show that the sentence is inappropriate? Sure, I think what we, what we look at when we look at the nature of the offense is the entire, um, the entire scenario. And I, I think his, his conduct was in, in line with and consistent with his prior character, right? So he was drunk, high, and armed uh, when he turned a routine traffic stop into a 10-minute high-speed chase across two counties. Uh, he followed that up by, or during that chase, he traveled over 100 miles an hour through construction zones, wove through traffic, ignored stoplights, um, still unable to get away, he ditches his car in an apartment complex, bails out, and takes off on foot. Uh, when he's on foot, he does throw a handgun down. Um, we see that both on video, and that serves as the enhancement to the level three felony, so he was convicted of possessing that firearm. Um, not content with that, he tries to break into an apartment to try and get away uh, from the police, and he only stops running when he's apprehended by the police canine. So there's this whole plethora of extra facts that go along uh, with his possession offense. Additionally, he possesses multiple um, types of drugs. He possesses not only the nine millimeter handgun that he threw down, but an extra magazine, two digital scales, and a 40 caliber uh, drum magazine with 51 rounds inside. So um, not content there, he then tries to uh, try to get the jail deputy who found the large amount of cocaine, the 13.6 grams in Mr. Fair's underwear. He tries to get that deputy to flush the cocaine and then to not testify against him at trial. So this is not, um, Mr. Fair was not just walking down the street with a half ounce of cocaine. Mr. Fair did a whole lot more than, than simply possess this cocaine. How do you think that we should deal with uh, the mental health issue with regard to, I should say, how does the state and the attorney general feel we ought to deal with the mental health issue that I think our latest statistics are more than half of prisoners have serious mental health problems. Mm -hmm. How are are we just going to lock these people up? Is that, is that going to be the answer? Again, I think with this particular case, um, I think I would acknowledge that it does appear from his substance abuse history that he certainly has an issue there. Um, with regard to other undiagnosed mental health, it's unclear with regard to Mr. Fair's case. Um, 
the history of, of being provided treatment through the course of his sentences um, shows that, that he has not availed himself of court-provided opportunities. Um, and I think that that is um, the real issue for Mr. Fair and, and, and where he fails to make his burden uh, to show that this sentence is inappropriate. Um, he's been provided court op he's been given court-provided opportunities, and he's rejected those. Does it matter that the trial court offered him recovery while incarcerated programming? I think that that does matter. Um, the recovery while incarcerated program um, provides not only uh, assistance with dealing with substance abuse issues, but it also provides the potential for a sentence modification upon completion of the program. So should Mr. Fair successfully complete the recovery while incarcerated program, um, it is then contemplated that um, he petitions the trial court to modify his sentence for early release. And should this court consider that as a factor when it's determining whether or not the sentence is appropriate or inappropriate? I, I think it certainly does uh, support that the sentence is appropriate in this case or um, because there is still an element of um, a, a <coughs> chance to, to for Mr. Fair to show that he has uh, a desire to change his behavior and then to petition to modify the court, something tangible that he can do um, and then ask for a modification. Um, so I, I think that, that this, this is not a, you know, the judge didn't say you can never modify your sentence. Um, the judge said, here's, do this program, do it successfully and come back and see me, which is a, a, a different, uh, you know, sentencing idea, I think. And uh, I note that the two, the two elements are nature of the offense and the character of the offender. I don't hear anything in those words about community safety. Does community safety factor into our equation? I think that factors into the nature of the, uh, in this case, it, it factors into the nature of the offense and, and Mr. Fair's character. Um, as, as was already discussed, um, the nature of the offense far exceeds just the statutory elements. Um, a lengthy police chase that endangered a large number of people um, and you know, t trying to run into a, an apartment at night uh, is extremely dangerous. Um, Mr. Fair's history of uh, drug dealing convictions and his history of possessing firearms is very serious. Um, the, uh, I, the appellate courts have noted uh, for a number of years that, that its opinions are replete with situations where drugs and guns erupt into violence. So this combination is very dangerous. And, and, and I would suggest um, that a high-capacity drum magazine has nothing to do with home protection. Um, I, I think that carrying that along with 13 and a half, 14 grams of cocaine um, suggests something else, that he, he doesn't suggest that he's living in his car. Um, so I, I think that there is a very serious community safety um, concern in this particular case because of the firearms, the firearms seized, and his history of possessing firearms. Thank you. Other questions for the state? Thank you very much. Mr. Thank Joe. you, Your Honor. And you have some rebuttal time, I believe. Mr. Stock? Great. 
Judge Bradford, I, I, if I may, I'd like to address your question to the state about what is the rehabilitative value of an additional 15 years. Um, we don't think there is any. And it's completely inconsistent with the charge of the Indiana Constitution and the General Assembly. As the court's well aware, the Constitution charges the criminal code, requires it to be founded on principles of reform, reformation and not vindictive justice. And the General Assembly has, has instructed courts that they are to construe the criminal code in accordance with its general purposes to reduce crime by promoting the use of evidence-based practices for rehabilitation of offenders in a community setting and to keep dangerous prisoners in prison by avoiding the use of scarce prison space for nonviolent offenders. We would suggest there is nothing evidence-based or rehabilitative about 15 years of incarceration for a drug addict. Studies have shown... You, you've mentioned that he's a nonviolent offender. Is that true? under the law it, so if you go to the single episode of criminal conduct statute judge the, the, there are a list of offenses that are considered crimes of violence in that statute one of them is resisting law enforcement as a felony so the chase here was a felony was felony resisting law enforcement that component but all the rest of the stuff that he's been convicted of that he stands before this court convicted of is not so Violence is in, the is in the eye of the beholder, certainly. But again, I don't think it can be separated from the addiction and the mental illness that is fueling that addiction, which is leading to behavior which is violent. I just don't think that there is a coherent way to separate those two. So when the state talks about he chose to do this, he chose to do that, he chose to do this, he chose to intoxicate himself in a volitional way. He's not a robot. But once he's intoxicated on that level of intoxicant, I mean, to talk about his decision-making capacity as being analogous to a cool, reasoned, calculating machine is absurd, frankly. Well, but let's talk about the, the fact in, in comparison that being drunk is not a defense to drunk driving. No. Nope. Getting yourself drunk is not a defense to drunk driving. That first choice can lead to a lot of bad consequences. Absolutely, Your Honor. No excuse. Voluntary intoxication is not a defense. We're not denying that. But we're just saying that mental health and addiction go hand in hand, and his ab clear abuse of substance is related to his mental health. But didn't he have the option of mental health medication that he chose not to take? But again, I mean, you're right. That is, that is true, Your Honor. Uh, but again, I think that's part and parcel of this person needs accountability. My client needs accountability. All addicts need accountability. They need the guiding hand. They need somebody monitoring them. And no one is asking for the jail doors to be let open and for Mr. Fair to hit the streets as the addict that he is. Nobody's asking for that. We are suggesting that 20 and a half years in prison is still an appropriate sentence under our law, under Indiana law. That's the best we're going. That, that, that's what we're asking for here. We're not asking for him to be let scot, off scot free. And as Judge Mathias, as you said, you point out, you've talked about mental health. You said in the Wampler decision, we have got to recognize the difference between mental illness and criminal behavior in this society, and we have to recognize as. As your former court recognized, Judge Kenworthy, 
Studies shown 60 to 80% of drug abusers commit a new crime that is typically drug-related after release from prison. 95% of drug abusers return to drug abuse after release from prison. 95%. So to suggest that my client is special because he continues to be a drug abuser when 95% of people released from prison are still abusing drugs is incoherent in our view. So for the foregoing reasons, we respectfully request this court to revise Mr. Fair's sentence to 20, from 32 to 20 and a half years in prison. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Todd. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the active portion of this case. You've heard terrific arguments, commendable arguments from both the appellant's counsel, Mr. Stock, and the Deputy Attorney General, uh, Mr. Yoke. Uh, I'm just uh, very pleased that we had that quality of oral argument for you to see what happens here uh, in our court. Uh, let me take just a moment to thank some people and then we're going to adjourn and come out to the front of the stage to answer any questions that you might have. So start thinking right now. Whatever correct question you ask, we may be able to answer, but we will not be able to answer any questions about this case and we may uh, uh, have a broad circle around this case that includes some other things. So don't be surprised when we say, no, we really can't answer that question. I'd like to take this moment to uh, acknowledge and thank our social studies department chair, Janet Chandler, uh, our superintendent, Dr. Yvonne Stokes, principal, principal Reggie Simmons, assistant principal, Paige Vincent, Auditorium Director, Auditorium Director Michael Toddy, and the Rho Kappa National Social Studies Honor Society, which you all are. Thank you very much for all this. Let me also take just a moment, too, because unfortunately we need this kind of assistance these days. I'd like to thank Sergeant Brent Gullison from the Indiana State Police uh, and our own court security officer, uh, Calmetta Cummings, for uh, providing the security required for an event like this. Let me also, last but not least, give a call out to our bailiff. Uh, our bailiff, Stephanie Kaplan, is first year, rising? Second year, is a second year law student uh, at the Maurer Law School uh, in Bloomington. And that school and other schools provide opportunities like this for Ms. Kaplan to intern in my office uh, and to help write the things that we need to write, decisions, orders, opinions, and to help us think things through. So it's a pretty exciting opportunity for a second year law student, and keep that in mind for those of you who end up in law school. Um, with that, I'd like to say we're adjourned and we're gonna come out and answer any questions that you might have. All rise.